But so many people have it better than me. They, they have it different than me. When I, when I tried to make sense of my story, a guy that's trying to honor God, and their story that really doesn't count on God, it was just too much. Until, look at this wonderful shift in the story. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Now let me suggest, even as we move further in the text, the phrase this morning is going to be important for us to the, for the rest of the day till 1130. It's this theme of entering the sanctuary of God. Uh, Asaph is saying to us, the restlessness, the, the wandering, the envy, the anger, the disconnect, the, uh, the sense of fear, whatever the full continuum of emotions that he was feeling or the ones that are coursing through our hearts today. He's saying, all these were having a field day in my life until I went into sanctuary. Now, what do you think Asaph meant when he said, till I went into the sanctuary of God? Certainly not simply until I got in my chariot and drove back down to the temple and walked into the big temple in Jerusalem. That's where he worked. It wasn't like Asaph was saying, I just really needed to get into the building of Israel's worship again. No, that's not what he's talking about. Sanctuary is the defining reality of what God has always purposed for his people. The concept of sanctuary in scripture starts in the Garden of Eden. And it's not connected to a building. It's the presence of God. Asaph is saying, my inner world, my, my pain, and we don't really know. He doesn't give us all the narrative that would help us understand how he became so angry. Was there a faith crisis? Were there other wounds that just kind of got centered in on a life of envy? We don't know. We don't have to know. But we do need to see Getting into sanctuary was critical. And that's the presence of the Lord. You see, a part of our conversation this morning is going to be about, so what does it mean for us to do sanctuary? And I'm going to suggest that for us, wherever, wherever we are landing in our community of faith experience, whether we're a part of the three fellowships that are sponsoring this weekend whether we are representative of other churches, the key thing is this. Do we know the difference between going to church and going to Christ? I want you to think of sanctuary as the gospel itself. Uh, when, when, when we would take this psalm and translate it into our stories, we should be able to say something like this. Uh, none of it made sense or it was too much. I was overwhelmed. My heart was frozen. My heart was disconnected until I began to move further into the sanctuary that is the gospel of God's grace. Now for Asaph, let me read more in the scripture and we'll see what that journey looked like for him and then we'll make our own parallels this morning. He says, when I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. You see, there's something about the gospel that gives us perspective like no other reality can. He says, then I understood their final destiny, meaning the destiny of those whom he was envying. Now, Asaph is not going to become self-righteous now and start getting off on he's so glad that people that don't love God are going to end up really getting it bad. No, he's saying, 
If God had given me what I had demanded, my life would have been ruined just like this. Look at these words. Verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? How completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Now he's saying in verses 18 through 20 that a life that is resolved to be lived apart from the living God, it ends up in destruction. And uh, this is why verse 21, which we read last night, we want to sit in for a moment. Asaph now goes back to his own heart and he's describing for us as a believer, as a believer, this is what it felt like in the season of his life. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was, sense, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Talk about vulnerability. Talk about a gift to us, an underhand pitch. You know, he's literally saying, this is, this is what it was like to be me for a season. I, I was beastly before the Lord. I was acting out as an insane person. I was, I was angry. I was grieved. I was embittered. And then this gigantic shift. Look at verse 23. Yet, and we're going to talk about ASAPs yet. Yet I am, oh Lord, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. We're going to unpack the past, present, and the future of the gospel this morning. This is strong gospel orientation. Lord, I came into sanctuary. I, 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 I kind of I, I, I began to get still and know that you're God. I, I turned a monologue into a dialogue. And you met me. See, sometimes we talk to ourselves too much than we listen to God, right? Can anyone say, been there, done that one? I'll confess my sins all morning if you don't need to. It's okay, so. Yeah, we, 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 we get into our dusty monologues when we want to dialogue with the Lord. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Verse 25, here, here's what I would say is kind of a taste of, of a heart that's in sanctuary. Whom have I in heaven but you? Notice he doesn't say, what do I have in heaven? For Asaph, heaven was not so much getting out of this mess and getting on the streets of gold. No, it's relational. Because no matter what broken stories there are in this room, old ones that have more power over your heart than they deserve are current ones. Ultimately, what we need is not a change of circumstances or even explanations. It's connecting with this God who loves us as no one else could ever love us. You know, some of us still believe if I could have married the right spouse, my life would have been rock star awesome. Or if I had had her kids rather than my kids. Why are you laughing? And we, we, we get into these assumptions that if, if, if I had been given a different story, a different body, if I had not had this limitation, whatever the story I appreciated so much, Keith's opening prayer. Listen, Jesus prays for our joy in the midst of our circumstances. And some parts of our story 
are not meant to get over, but to grow through. The Lord gives us mercy and comfort that we might love precisely in those parts of our story that we would have traded in for a Diet Coke. As you heard last night, I mean, I take no pleasure in the fact that two critical parts of my story were a head-on car crash for my mom to exit to have it through when I'm 11 years old and a father completely disconnected. I, I would have never written a story that it would take me 39 years before I would finally make it back to my mother's grave after she was ripped out of my life that October of 1961. And I for sure never would have written in three years earlier that story of sexual abuse. But the gospel is not about getting over stuff. It's about, Lord, in sanctuary, in the, in the healing power of the oppressive, breaking, liberating, heart-healing wonder of Jesus. How are you going to meet me, grant me healing that I might really love as I am loved? This is what Asaph's talking about. Whom have I in heaven but you and being with you? I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. What a, what, a, what a beautiful affirmation. It's not love Jesus and your nose is not going to ever run again. Or love Jesus and there's always going to be more check left over at the end of the month. Now my heart and my flesh may fail. God, you haven't promised me an easy life. You have never ever promised to do all things easy, but you have promised to do all things well. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In, in Scripture, portion is treasure. Portion is inheritance. Portion is, in many ways, the answer to what we wander towards. I'm, I'm wandering towards something I think that can be my portion. It will be enough bread. It will be enough drink. That's why in Isaiah 55, our Lord says to His people who are gathered in worship, if anybody is thirsty, come to me. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Listen, listen to me and your soul will delight in the richest affair. God says to those who know him, you don't yet know me in the depth of your being that I want to be known. This morning I got up and getting me some good coffee at Rain and Wink's house and uh, saw a little plaque hiding behind your coffee bar there, right? I had never seen this phrase before, but I immediately tweeted it, claiming as though it was mine or something. But I mean, we've all grown up saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. But Raina had this cool little plaque. Uh, Jesus knows me, this I love. You think about it, that's really profound. So you want to be known. Being known is the opposite of being shamed. Shame is always related to gaze. I don't want to be seen. I don't want you to see me as I really am. I cover. I have fig leaves. I have success. I have prowess. I have, I fit into a size four dress. I have something. I cover up because I do not want to be seen for who I really am. To be known is the language of eternal life. Jesus knows us. This we love. Well, what does that journey look like? Well, let me pick back up where we were last night. I was sharing that three themes through the wounds of my heart and trying to find a way to find uh, healing, went to the wrong places, even at times trusted in ministry for a sense of identity more than knowing the Lord deeply in the recesses of my heart. And these themes, 
kind of defined who I was relationally in my world. Notice me, but don't know me. I've always been comfortable in front of a lot of people, even as an introvert. And some of you that know me know I'm an introvert by temperament. And um, I'm a lot more comfortable doing this right now, or if there were 15,000 people in the room, I would be more comfortable doing this than you giving me one-on-one because that's threatening. You might really press in and discover I'm a mere man. So a lot of my life was, I am so insecure, but I do a few things well. I became the Wizard of Oz, behind the curtains of ministry and life. And it's why, you know, Darlene once said to me in my journey towards finally having that burnout breakdown and then entering into sanctuary. I remember three things Darlene said to me in the progression of me finally becoming a little bit more of a healthy man. Years earlier, as she's been working on her story, once we moved to Nashville, she said, Scotty, I don't think I really know you as she was beginning to know herself. I believe God has more for us than what we're settling for. I thought, well, that's nice, honey. Here's what, you don't know me? I love Carolina basketball, um, medium rare steaks, Pittsburgh style, give me a good chart outside, a nice pink inside. Uh, You know, she's not wanting data, right? A few years later, she said, why do you suppose you're so much more alive in the pulpit than you are at home? Ouch, Keith, that's a, well, my, you know, inside, I think I thought in a minute, well, it's just the anointing, honey. What can I say? Spirit comes on me and um, isn't it awesome? You know, the Lord uses such a squirrely little guy. No, she wasn't impressed with preaching, but why can you show passion and life and feeling, but you come home and you don't know how to sit in the chaos of my heart. You're not able to pursue our kids' hearts. That was an important question. And the third thing she said, by God's grace, not with a finger in my face, that would have been appropriate. She said to me, Scotty, I want to get healthy with you, but I will get healthy without you. And she'd been working on her story and heart. And, and you know, and that was a wooing of the Lord. The, the, how, how do we begin to move towards sanctuary? Don't be surprised when God uses people in your life to begin to say, are you tired of running? And for me, you know, this protecting my heart at all costs finally and fortunately began to move me to that place of uh, a burnout. And uh, again, limitation of our time, physically, emotionally, physically, uh, every sense of the term, I really got completely exhausted uh, leading up to my birthday in the year 2000. And... um, and, and I think that probably just is indicative of how much I was wandering and running, how shut down my heart was, how fearful I was of really maybe beginning to look at some stuff that Jesus was beckoning me to look at, like Asaph in his day, whatever his story was, I know mine. Well, very, very briefly, um, and, and don't be surprised I mentioned if God uses people who are positioned in your life to be present in a way that you never imagined. See, uh, movement towards sanctuary, even movement toward the gospel will be a journey of humility. Not broken downness, but brokenness. There's a difference. The Lord is not ever, 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 ever going to shame us. He is committed to free us. But you know, sometimes when you go to the doctor or the dentist, you get a diagnosis you didn't really want. Everybody in this room, when you go to the dentist, what do you hope to happen? Everything's good. Here's your little plastic bag, new toothpaste, 
new toothbrush, new dental floss, see you in six months. But once in a while we hear, you know what, found a couple of cavities. Or, or like three years ago, my first root canal, or my precious wife, Darlene, this past week, a root canal. And you think, oh no, just give me floss. I think floss will be enough. Well, the, the, the Lord shows us stuff. And what happened to me was, in my story, I happened to be in the presence of two men that were friends and our friendship needed to go to a whole new place. So I'm walking around in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. Our church is doing really well, and, uh, <clears throat> which is a paradox because sometimes when things are bad is when you know, the Lord can really get our attention. But I was so being sought by the Lord. So I'm walking around. I am, I am just completely no resources left. And I walk into my best friend's office, Scott Rowley, who was one of the five founding members of Christ Community Church in Franklin, a musician who was head of our mercy ministry. I went to his office, and in his office was another one of our founding members, an artist, musician, Bible teacher that some of you know, Michael Card. Mike and Scott were two of the five founding couples with their wives in our church. And I went in Scott's office, and all this buildup of all this wandering, all this running, all this frozen heart, all this stuckness, it just broke like a giant dam. And I said a phrase that had not been anywhere in my mind, had not thought about it, had not been considering it, had not, been, it had not even been on my tongue, not even in my imagination, until I walked through Scott Rowley's office door. And I saw Scott, I saw Mike, and I said this, guys, I haven't been to my mom's grave in the 39 years since she's died. And as soon as I said those words. It's like being in a cartoon. You see the words written up there. I wanted to bring it back in, but then quickly I shifted from any sense of restraint and I fell apart, weeping, fell into a chair in Scott's office, bent over, convulsing. And immediately on the back of my neck, I felt the tears of two good friends, which proved to be one of the sweetest baptisms I will ever know. When we are in the presence of someone that meets us in our weakness with no pressure to fix us, not even giving words, not even quoting Bible, but they're just present. I needed to be still and let two men weep over me. And it was the beginning of moving into sanctuary in a profound way. Now, once again... Our time this morning does not allow me to tell you a lot more of that story as it is. I do want to give you those kinds of moments to know that as, as, you, as you hear this weekend and the Lord might begin to stir up stuff, I'm going to encourage you. You have every reason to hope. God resists the proud, but what does he give the humble? Grace. See, what I was resisting for so long was more grace. I was so afraid of being known. I was so afraid of beginning to look at heart wounds that had defined me more than the gospel itself, the gospel that I love to preach to all these people cramming into a little funky church in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. But there we were in that moment of just complete convulsiveness. And, uh, and I did make it. I did make it within... Uh, six days to my mom's grave and it began a journey uh, it began a journey of what I want you to consider now um, as we walk through this text to make some connections about um, 
what this might look like for you. Um, how, how does the Lord meet us? What does it mean to cultivate our wonder? We, we got a taste of Asaph's wonder just reading through this scripture. We, we see a man incredibly honest about pain and, and choices and attitudes. And he speaks about entering into the sanctuary, which again, we're, we're referring to as the gospel. So, so what do we need to do? I've got a little outline I'm going to walk through here just to keep my ADD self on task. And I want to talk to us about uh, right now and then after our break about what does it mean to cultivate our wonder? How, how can we enter into the sanctuary that is the gospel? Well, number one, as I've just mentioned, uh, we need to own our wonder. We need to know and own our wonder. We just started a little bit last night asking the Lord to show us, Lord, what does my wonder look like? Where does my imagination go? Uh, where, does, where does my money go? Where, where does my energy go? What am I wandering after? Am I someone that has deep longings that I don't think you really will take care of? Or I'm trying to avoid Jesus? Or, or is there, am I more like Scotty? I've got some pain and I'm beginning to realize now a lot of my drivenness, a lot of my movement, a lot of my anger, anxiety, and fear below that is some stuff that needs more grace. Well, my spiritual father of 21 years is a man that some of you would know by name, Jack Miller. Jack basically put this journey like this. He, he defined it in terms of two cheer-ups. Cheer up, you're a whole lot more broken and needy than you think you are. Doesn't really sound like something to be excited about, right? But, but only because of the second cheer-up. Cheer-up, you're a whole lot more loved, wanted, and accepted than you ever dreamed or hoped. Both are true because the gospel's true. That's precisely the gift that Asaph gave us. He's telling us a story and saying, maybe you too, huh? And I'm glad that I could say, yeah, me too, Asaph. So we start by the Lord giving us that gift of humility, not humiliation, but the gift of saying, Lord, indeed, will you meet me? And then we begin to move into the sanctuary. And I want us to talk about sanctuary now in terms of these three words that emerge in the text. These three words, the past, present, and future of the gospel. And I'm going to basically describe it like this. We enter and dwell in the sanctuary of God, which is the gospel, by becoming way more familiar with the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel. Living in Music City, USA, I'm surrounded by people coming to be songwriters. And a good songwriter knows that if someone's going to pick up and record your song, there's got to be three things that are coming together. There's a lyric, right? There, there's words. But it's not just a matter of having the right lyric. There's a music. There's a melody. There's a sense of connection between the music you write for those words, and, and they go together. There's just that sense of, yeah, there's a connection. And it goes into the heart that creates movement, dance. Now, don't worry. The end of our seminar is not going to be 1130. We're all going to be up break dancing for Jesus. The, you know, the, the dance of the gospel is more about getting on the dance floor of the Father's love and delight as recorded in Luke 15 than it is non-dancers becoming dancers. Listen, there's a lot of people that can break dance, spin on their head and do all that stuff that don't know the dance of the gospel. But what do we mean by this? Well, look, look, okay, let's go through lyric. When we talk about the lyric of the gospel, we simply mean, what do I really believe the Bible actually says is true in the gospel? Asaph shows us, uses words that are fulfilled by the 
coming of the Messiah, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he uses these three phrases, grasped, guided, and glorified. Let me read that again, because I want you to see it in the text, not just in my outline. Asaph says, I'm always with you. You, you. you hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. See, what we need to hear this morning is, this sanctuary, the gospel, starts with understanding that what matters more than anything is the fact that, that Jesus has a hold of me. Asaph says, you, Asaph says you, you have grasped me. You've got a hold of me. Now, what does that look like in terms of the language of the gospel? I would ask us this question this morning. Um, is Jesus your second chance or is he the second Adam? Is Jesus more your model to follow or your substitute to trust? What was your assumption of what took place when you became a Christian? For a lot of years, here's what I thought being a Christian was. You, okay, you finally admit the fact that you do want to go to heaven when you die, so you, you invite Jesus into your heart, and he wipes away all of those sins. He just gives you a clean slate, and then what do you get to do? Well, you get to try to live a good life, to do enough so that at the end of your life you... Maybe we'll see the smile of God. Friends, the church condemned that as heresy. That is not the gospel. You see, when we come to Christ, this sense of being, this thing, this sense of being held onto, and Asaph says, Lord, you hold me. Lord, I'm running, but you hold me. Here in a greater vision of the testimony of Scripture is Jesus gets a hold of us like this. To trust Christ means that not only in the very moment when I come to know him or you come to know him as your savior, not only are your past sins forgiven, but your past, present, and future sins are forgiven, all of them. And not just the two or three or four percent you're aware of. The other 96% as well. I didn't hear that growing up. And I didn't believe that as a Christian, I kind of had this sense of, I get a new chance, I get a redo. It's not redo, it's redemption. But not only that, when we become a Christian, the, the grasp of the gospel is not just we're forgiven, but we are given something that we could never earn. We, we are given the very righteousness of Christ. I never tire of offering an illustration that some of you have heard me give perhaps even countless times. When we break at 11.30 today, some of you want to go perhaps to your favorite sushi shop to get some sushi and, or whatever you eat in this wonderful city of yours. And you go to the restaurant that requires cash, not check, not plastic. So you stop by the ATM machine, you put your card in to get what you need for lunch, and you discover that on the receipt, you have $317 billion left in your account. Because you're a noble member of Christ Church, you call the bank president and say, there's been a mistake. And he says, oh, no, there hasn't. There's been an enormous deposit put in your account. Now, let's change illustration. That fuels our crassness. You're thinking of everything you can buy right now, right? <laughs> let's put it where it needs to be. In the gospel, we are given the very righteousness of Christ. Listen to this and hear this and believe it with every toenail on your fingers and feet. God does not love you to the degree you are like Christ. God loves you to the degree you are in Christ. And if you are a Christian, you, your life has been hidden in Christ by God. 
You are completely enveloped in the righteous. You did not become a righteous person the moment you trusted Christ. Or those of you thinking about the gospel, maybe you're here with a friend beginning to peer over the fence at our faith story. Well, we want you to hear this. You, you know, the, God's not calling you to try to make better on your life. He's done something for you through Jesus. And so when Asaph talks about being being grasped, he's saying in, in, in a way looking ahead to when the Messiah would come, who's the fulfillment of all scripture, th this is what we now know to be true. And you see, I needed to know as a young man who knew he was going to go to heaven when he died, I needed to know that that heart loss, that, that calling to grieve my mom's death, and before that, that sexual abuse in my soul, that there would be grace for that by a God who already really delights in me now, loves me, and will sustain any of the anger and the anguish I have. Brother and I shared before we started this session, who told me hearing my story last night that he had lost his mom too. And you know what? The difference being, it took me 39 years to get back to my mom's grave to grieve. He told me, Scotty, what I started doing was going to sit on my mom's grave every day and just tell God how angry I was that he took my mom from me. And I said, brother, that was so much healthier than what I did. And he agreed. If I know the smile, the embrace, the welcome of God is already ours. We can go wherever our stories are going to demand we go. But if I'm living a life, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And, you know, and I'm not going to run to this God. So the sanctuary of God is the, the, it's the lyric. It's, it's the truth. It's good theology, but it, but it needs to be music. In other words, what's the difference between a standing up and saying the Apostles' Creed and knowing the God of the Apostles' Creed? It, it's, it's sanctuary. It's saying, Lord, thank you that... That, that your spirit's convincing me that, that this stuff in my heart, this frozenness, this disconnect, all this stuff, you're not, you're not unhappy with me that I'm not skipping all the time. Book of Job, isn't it awesome, the book of Job? Not because we want Job's life, but Job took the argument to God over and over and over. At the end of the book, Job is called to pray for his fix-it friends that basically wanted to say to him, people that have a life like yours obviously aren't pleasing to God. What's your, what's your unconfessed sin, Job? And that was not the issue at all. And here's the connection I want to make. Until I really began to go into sanctuary with friends, let them weep over me, take advantage of the resources of good Christian counseling and and, and, and letting people love on me and me not have to be anything until I allowed the Lord to meet my heart. You know how I related to my wife's pain? Exactly like one of Job's friends trying to fix her. See, friends, this whole story, Christian spirituality is as we come alive to the only love that's better than life, as we come alive to the only love that will never let go of us, we are then and only then able to begin to be present in one another's stories. And let me tell you, these three congregations here, what revival would look like, this gospel running deeper in each of these fellowships so that together you love each other more and more and more so that the watching world hears a rumor. This isn't church as usual. These people are real. They're a lot more like with that little story my mom read me called The Velveteen Rabbit. They got eyes hanging off and they got little 
places in their velvet that's broken and they're so believable and they're so welcoming and I might risk going among these churches because I hear the welcoming heart of God is real and they're not just wanting to ask me what I believe. They're showing me who I can know. And we are going to talk about that tomorrow morning when we gather as three congregations to worship together and have the privilege of bringing the word. But let me move on here as we hasten towards our first break. So we see... This picture of, uh, again, uh, entering sanctuary, which is the gospel, understanding the gospel. Again, understanding that good theology is meant to become doxology. That when we talk about forgiveness and the gift of Christ's righteousness, these are things to, uh, the language I use, to marinate in. Oh, my goodness gracious. Before Christmas, my good friend took his nine-year-old daughter. And, and my good friend's a great hunter. And his daughter loves now to hunt. And she took down her first deer. Now, don't. Give me an email about vegetarianism and you thought that was a cruel thing for a father to do to his daughter. Let me tell you where the story's going, all right? It's a beautiful thing, actually. Not that I'm a hunter, but he fixed me deer backstrap. Anyone know what I mean when I say backstrap a deer? Raise your hand. Let me see your smile. My friend marinated this fresh tenderloin, this backstrap from this deer, and my wife and I sat down and thought, this is the wedding feast of the lamb. Marination means you soak in something. You, 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 you get the richness of it. It just permeates everything. And when I talk about marinating in the gospel, in fact, after our break, we're going to talk about what that looks like. We're going to do some praying together, marinating in the gospel. But this is what we're saying here. Do, 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 what, what do I believe to be true? And, and where does the Lord need to deconstruct certain things I believe wrong about God? Where, where, have, I, where have I believed only two, 20% of a gospel? So, so we are grasped. Jesus is our substitute to trust. He lived in our place a life of perfect obedience. He died in a place exhausting God's judgment. This is not exaggeration. It's wonder. Second of three, and then we'll take our break. I'll pray for us. We're not only grasped, which covers our past, and in many ways it covers everything else, but we are guided. Did you see what Asaph says? And you, you guide me with your counsel. In other words, Asaph needed to know the, the God who was and is and is to come is right now and he guides us. And what does it mean for us? It means that we begin to relate to Jesus as the active good shepherd. He is our active and constant good shepherd. And we begin to relate to Jesus in new and fresh ways. Again, it's when Asaph says, who do I have in heaven but you? He's saying, Lord, finally I understand it's not about being where angels are singing. It's about being with you. And, you know, I needed to know Jesus is a good shepherd. He's not a coach. He's a good shepherd. As a prophet, priest, and king, and he speaks in his scripture, and he's everywhere, and we really begin to understand that, that the Bible is all about Jesus. When we begin to understand that he is a great high priest, he is one that bids us bring our brokenness and our longings and our pain to him. He is a great king that's making all things new. We begin to cultivate corporately in our worship. And in the way we think about discipleship, we begin to think about knowing Jesus in, in, in ways that are not just cerebral. See, I, I, did, I did living out of my head as a man real good for real long, but living from our heart means Jesus, love me the way you're committed to love me. Prophet, priest, and king. And we'll mention this when we come back. And we do this together. 
You know, that journey of me finally coming out as the Wizard of Oz and letting Mike Card and Scott Rowley weep over me, I think those tears probably were saying, Scotty, we've been praying for this day for a long time. Why wouldn't you just let us be your friend? You don't have to perform. Certainly some of you got to be tired of performing, trying to keep it together. What was it like even going from the parking lot to come into this room before you got your incredible apple fritter this morning? Let me put on my Christchurch pose. Okay, suck it in, get it. It's going to be okay. We'll be out here at 1130. Just, how are you? Oh, good. How about you? Oh, it was a good meeting last night. Yeah, I liked it too. Wasn't that young woman, Meredith, didn't she sing so special? Oh, it was nice. Good. You know, and you're, we're bleeding. We're, we're bleeding. What would, have, what would have happened if this? And we're going to break in two minutes. What would have happened if I'd walked up here this morning Stood up here, not down there, and you'd notice coming through my nice prana cotton pant, <clears throat> my shin bone was sticking out like this. I had, a, and I had a compound fracture, and you saw in my left Birkenstock, blood was beginning to fill up. And I'm up here kind of filling with my iPad, getting my notes together, and I'm getting ready, smiling, and say, Scotty, time out here. Dude, you got a broken shin bone, and you're going to bleed out. Let's get you to the ER. What if I was completely unaware of that? You know what? It'd be kind of hard to avoid a compound fracture with a Birkenstock filling up with blood. But a lot of our heart wounds, that's the way we're doing life. And other people are aware of it, and we're not. Darlene knew the compound fractures of my heart. I was emotionally so unintelligent, had no sense of self-awareness. Jesus says, it is a lot worse than you think. Hallelujah. And I'm here to make you whole. I am the prophet. I speak truth. Listen to me. I am the priest. I have mercy and grace for you. I am the king. I'm not just a ruler of the kings of the earth. I'm your king. And I conquer you with grace. Lastly, as we break, notice what Asaph says, and you will take me to glory. It was important for me in my early stages beginning to become a healthier man to have a real robust sense of, Lord, where is this going to take me? You know, you're afraid of where you're going if you're afraid you're not going to get there. And Asaph begins to show us there's something beautiful about Christian hope. If we know, if we learn in fresh ways the Father will bring to completion the good work He began, we will stay present, right? There's something about where is this taking me, Lord? I needed to have the hope that once I really began to articulate what it felt like to be such a shameful, fearful guy with all this pain of that abuse and the complete insecurity, I needed to know it's going to be okay. Dear friends, our Father will complete what He began. Now let's pray. He's going to come and instruct us about our break. Then we're going to come back, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that, yes, there is one love better than life. There is one love alone that's enough. And there's not a story in this room. There's not a sin pattern in this room. There's not a wound in this room that's beyond the God of resurrection. And Lord, thank you that you are here to welcome us, to invite us, to woo us, through one another, with one another. Lord, I don't just pray for individual stories this morning. I pray for
2017 for these three congregations. Lord, what will growth and gospel astonishment look like? What would happen with, Lord, if the gospel should run deeper into our hearts, into our cultures together? Lord, who, who are the people now that would, on the outside of where these three congregations are position, positioned, that, that might come if, if, they, if they heard something remotely real like we, what we've been talking about last night and this morning? If, if, if the, from the leaders through the entire church, Lord, there would be a fresh sense of Christ has come to set us free, that the gospel is even more sweet than we understand. Oh, Lord, would you do this for your glory? We know one day the knowledge of your glory will cover Jacksonville as the waters cover the sea. Why not a little bit more through these three churches? Why not in 2017? Why not beginning with us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.